We're going to honour the scriptures this morning by reading from the Word of God in 1 Corinthians 13. That's what you're thinking about every Sunday over the next few weeks. And uh, right at the heart of this reading is a description of love. And now I will show you the most excellent way, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, if not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall... No, fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm asked this morning in this series to speak about this little phrase here. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. This description of love is best understand if you replace the word love with the word Jesus. For Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus doesn't boast. Jesus is not proud. And then the real test to see if you measure up is to put your own name in there. Laura is patient. <laughs> no, John is patient. Well, not always. John is kind, not always. John doesn't envy, not always. John doesn't boast, well, not always. You see, we don't measure up, do we? That's the point. But God loves us perfectly. This is a description of his love for us. And we are to... To emulate him in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the burden of this message. Of course, you wouldn't expect a minister to envy, would you? <laughs> uh, because uh, we're supposed to be more like Jesus than the rest. There was a council of churches uh, in a major city in England. And they were discussing whether or not they would invite Billy Graham, you know, the well-known evangelist, still alive. And... Uh, An evangelist, a local evangelist, stood up in that council and said, why invite him? Plenty of evangelists around here. Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? 
And a wise minister in the company said, no, but the Holy Spirit seems to have a monopoly of him. So I think we should invite him. Yes, even ministers can be envious. Uh, do you know, it was here in Pontypridd in the late 80s when we, by the grace of God, we were at Tabernacle in Penarth and we were knowing phenomenal things. People being saved every week. Uh, and the joy of baptizing 600 people in the 27 years I was there. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. I was up in a, an association meeting here in Triforest uh, and... Uh, a minister asked if he could speak to me afterwards, and I said, of course. He took me aside, and he said, I want to tell you, John James, I hate you. And he was being serious. I said, why do you hate me? He said, because God is blessing you, and we know you don't deserve it. He said, why doesn't God bless me? I want to tell you, I sat down with him, and actually came up later and spent a day with him, walking around Pontypridd with him, praying for Pontypridd. That was in the late 80s. I want to tell you, it's all about grace. But for a moment, that evangelist and that minister forgot that it was all about grace. And they thought it was about them. Now, this passage is so familiar, it, it may come as a surprise to study it in its context, and that's what I want to do. You see, this passage is not telling us how to be romantic. It's about love, so we might think it's about romance. Or how to be married. This passage is telling us how to be church. What comes before 1 Corinthians 13? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, of course, <laughs> But what is 1 Corinthians 12 about? It's about spiritual gifts. It's about the charismata. And what is 1 Corinthians 14 about? Look at it. It's all about spiritual gifts. It's how to exercise the gifts of tongues and, and prophecies. The gifts of healing that God graciously gives. You see, this is a love sandwich. And this is... Showing us how to be church, how to exercise spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are exciting and wonderful. I speak in tongues all, every day. Probably speaking tongues more than all of you, the Apostle Paul said. But that doesn't credit us anything at all. Unless we do it in love. Spiritual gifts are useless and even destructive if they're not used with love. The charismata the use of spiritual has split many a church because people become proud when they have gifts and they're envious of one another and they're not used in love. You know, there are three passages in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12 through to 14, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. And if you were to look at them, you'll see they're all set in the context of love, that we have to use these gifts and ministries in love. Recognizing how much he loves us. We are to love one another and we are to work and serve each other in love. Few chapters in the Bible have suffered more misinterpretation and misapplication than this one that's before us today. Divorced from its context, 1 Corinthians 13 has become a, a hymn to love or a sentimental sermon on Christian brotherhood or sisterhood. Many people fail to see that Paul was dealing with the, Christ the problems in the church. The biblical background on the next slide, you'll see some of the problems that they were facing. There was division. 
One was following the Apostle Paul. One was following the Apostle Peter. One was following the Apostle Apollos. And they thought this group is better than that group. We're the best group in Corinth. They were envious of each other's gifts. They wanted to do what the other person was doing. There was selfishness amongst them. They were taking out lawsuits against other members of the church at Corinth. They were impatient with leaking. That's what Laura was dealing with last week, patience. The context is that when they were coming to the communion service, they weren't waiting for everyone to arrive. They were just getting stuck into the food and to the drink. They were really dealing with this problem. There was immorality in the church. And all of these problems, Paul is writing to address them. And right at the heart of this letter, there is this letter about loving each other in the church of Jesus Christ. Paul says, use the gifts. He says, I would that you all spoke in tongues. I would that you all prophesied. But whatever you do in the church, you've got to do it lovingly. The gifts of the Spirit, in my opinion, are flowers which bloom on the bed of love. Remove the latter and the former dies. The word love, as we look at the next slide, is the word agape. Now this Greek word, it's an old, old word. It existed before the Bible was written, but was seldom used. Read the history of this word, it's fascinating. Very few people used it. You see, there are four Greek words for love. One is eros, that's sexual love as Eros suggests. Filio is another word which speaks of friendship and, and family love. Sturge is another, which is another way of expressing family love. But this word was little known. And it seems as though God reserved it for the writing of the New Testament because it describes God's love for us. How does God love us? He loves us unconditionally, knowing to be imperfect. This is a lovely, this is the Selwyn Hughes quote, this, describing love, an unconditional commitment to imperfect people. Doesn't that describe perfectly God's love for us? He knows the worst about us, and he loves us just the same. But we, knowing the worst about each other, are still to love each other unconditionally. What a challenge that is. In this passage, Paul reveals three characteristics of Christian love that I want us to show, consider this morning. They're absolutely indispensable. And the first is this. Love is supposed to be enriching. If ever you have been told by someone that they love you, you feel valued. Your life is enriched or should be by someone loving you. Perhaps the love of parents. You felt enriched as you've been nurtured in their love. And much of what we learn, we learn through our parents. But some people have bad parents or no parents. But they fall in love and they're enriched by it. And love, Christian love, agape love is supposed to be enriching. It's to put value on us. And we have put value on one another. If I have, if I speak, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but of love I gain nothing. Now in this passage, there are six spiritual gifts mentioned. Notice, there's tongues, there's prophecy, there's knowledge, there's faith to move mountains, there's giving, there's martyrdom. Did you realize that martyrdom was a gift of the Spirit? If I give my body to be burned. You can have all of these gifts, but if you use them without love, they're worth absolutely not even giving your life for the cause of the gospel. We'll think about that this evening. So we have to ask the question, why do we use God's gifts? It's so possible to get involved in the work for God and lose sight of why we do it. The reason for evangelism or leadership or healing or administration is to take others by the hand and walk together into the fullness of God's purposes, which is for them to discover just how much God loves them. Stand back from what we know about spiritual gifts and, and then what's the point of speaking in tongues? What's the point of learning? What's the point of living sacrificially? What is all of our activity meant to achieve? It's not worth a jot in its own right. Its only value is if it creates love between one human being and another. If it creates love between us and God. And we come to realize just how much God loves us. Love is not one of the gifts. Or even an alternative to the gifts. It's the reason and the way God gifts are to be made use of. It's love that enriches and gives value to the whole of life. So love is supposed to be enriching and we have to ask the question. You're enriched by God's love. But are you making other people's lives rich because you love and serve them? And then, secondly, love is edifying. We need to ask the question, why are spiritual gifts given? And in 1 Corinthians 14, the next chapter Anyone who speaks in tongues, what? Edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. This is all about building up the church. The gifts of the Spirit are given to build each other up. And so often, they divide. And that's the tragedy. Unless the gifts are used in love, it will not build the church. The Corinthians were impatient in public meetings. And so Laura spoke last week about love being patient. And this week, the Corinthians were envious. And yet we're told love doesn't envy. You get the message. They weren't building each other up. They were pulling each other down. And these verses show us how to do the task to which God has called us. Perhaps you're the secretary or a committee chairman in the church. So efficient with business. But when you're doing your work, you can be so insensitive. You can put people down. Have you ever seen that in a church meeting? People being put down. It's the opposite to building people up. I love that illustration of the balloon. Getting so puffed up. 
And some people need to have their balloons pricked. To be brought down to earth. The person who, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> the person who speaks in tongues or preaches with a sense that he or she is doing something more significant than those who don't do these things can make people feel worthless. But the one who is simply pleased to be a loving contributor to God's plan has found the more excellent way, Paul is saying. Anyone who evangelizes intrusively or disrespectfully is serving no one but themselves. I might have told you before, there was a time many decades ago when I wore a clerical collar and uh, I was in the center of Cardiff and uh, there was someone giving out tracts. And when he came up to me and saw my clerical collar, he got me by my lapels and pulled me to himself. He said, I can see that you're religious, but are you saved? <laughs> well, when I removed his hand and I dusted myself down, I said, yes, I do have a testimony of God's saving grace, but the way that you're behaving towards me shows me that you know little about the grace of God. It's enough to put people off, isn't it? That kind of evangelism. It's not done in love. I want to tell you, that guy's name is Mike. And we became friends. He be, <laughs> actually baptized him at Tabernacle. And uh, he now goes to the Chinese church in Cardiff. You'll still find him out on the streets of Cardiff, giving tracks out. But he's learned the more excellent way. To do it lovingly. That's the whole point of this passage. This passage is not so much a hymn of love as a call to action, but loving action. A good dose of Christian love is the answer to all of the problems within the church. Let me spell it out for you this morning, friends. Spirit-filled people should not be touchy. They should not be envious of each other, and they should be quick to forgive. If you've been offended by someone in the church of Jesus Christ, then forgive them. We need a good forgettery. I've been studying this week the story of Joseph. His brothers, who sold him as a slave to the Midianites, taken down to Egypt, treated so badly for decades. When his brothers were confronted with this prime minister now of Egypt, they were afraid that he would take their revenge. You know what he said? God has made me to forget. You intended it for my harm, but God intended it for my good and your good. Thank God for the illustration of Joseph. Oh, he was a precocious young man, but he learned by the grace of God how to forgive. And so should we. So love is enriching. Love is edifying. And finally, love is enduring. You know that love never fails. It never, well, his love for us never runs out. All the times I've preached on this. Do you know, I preached on it at a wedding of an evangelical couple. Do you know how long their marriage lasted? Three weeks. Love never fails. It does. Humanly speaking, the Eros love runs out. The filial love can run out, but the agape love, God's love for us, never fails. Hallelujah. And where there a prophecy says, 
they'll go. Tongues will one day not be necessary. When the kingdom comes finally, and he is coming again, those gifts will not be necessary then. No, at the moment we, we see a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. It may be that one day in heaven we are allowed to recall things on earth. Then the best sermons, the the wisest prophecies, uh, the best-selling books will bring smile to our faces. It'll be like looking at pictures that we drew when we were in junior school. That's what the apostle meant when he wrote Now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. We need the gifts of the Spirit on our journey with God. But the gifts of the Spirit are the transport, not the destination. Be filled with the Spirit. Desire earnestly the best gifts. But when you've got them, you've got to use them in love. Do you know, I love Pentecostal Christians. I am one. <laughs> but, you know, Elim Pentecostals still have, as a statement of their faith, that the evidence that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. I couldn't disagree more. I've yet to hear it argued, and I argue it, that the initial evidence of someone baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit is that they love more. You got that? It's not that you speak in tongues more than anyone else. It's not that you can bring a word of prophecy or a vision to the church. It's that you outlove the world. This is my contention, that the initial evidence that you are filled with the Spirit is that you love and you forgive. And you are reconciled against all the odds. We need to note the uniqueness of this Christian agape in contrast with natural love. Sufficient here to underline once again the activity of the Spirit in producing this. Where does this love come from? Read it with me. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit which God has given us. Oh, my friend, be filled with the Spirit. And as you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will be filled with the love of God. Hallelujah. You'll love him more. You'll love each other more and more. The thought is tremendous, I believe. The charismata, the use of spiritual gifts, is irrevocably linked to agape. This special quality of love. We see then how inevitable it was for Paul to insert this love song where he did between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Use the gifts. Desire the gifts. But desire that you might be filled with the Spirit that you fall in love with Jesus more and you love each other more. Love and the Spirit are inseparable. And so as I close this morning, His emphasis on love in the midst of the teaching on the gifts of the Spirit is to remind us that love alone is enriching, edifying, and enduring. The question is this. Is your love like that? 
If not, we need to come to Calvary again. I noticed how Laura kept bringing us there. Come and meditate on how much he loved you. He went to the cross to love you. I was reading in the Gospels this week in the arrest of Jesus in Gethsemane. And when the soldiers came with their swords, Peter drew his sword and got off the ear of Malchus. And the Lord Jesus not only healed the soldier, but turned to Peter and said, Do you think this is the way of the kingdom? Don't you realize that I could call 12 legions of angels? 12 legions, 6,000 soldiers in a legion, 12 times 6 is 72 when I was in school. 72,000 angels would gladly have drawn their swords to bring Jesus down from the cross. But the Father said, no, having loved them, I will love them to the end. And Jesus, having loved us, he did what was necessary that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. How he loves us. As a result of this message, don't go away thinking, I must love, I must turn over a new page and love people more. It doesn't work like that. Love cannot be taught. Love has to be caught. Love begets love. Is as you meditate on just how much he loves you, you will realize it and you will fall in love with him and you will begin to love God's people more and more. Because Calvary is a finality, Pentecost can be a reality. Do not hear me saying this morning that spiritual gifts don't matter. Spiritual gifts are vital for the building of the church. But because Calvary is a finality, Pentecost with all of its gifts can be a reality. I want to send you away this morning with this ringing New Year's. Be filled with the Spirit. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But do it all in the love of Calvary. In Jesus' name. Amen.